0: Morning. Oh, that's not, okay. <laughs> uh, turn your Bibles to Romans 8, verse 12. We're going to be reading verses 12 through 25. So then, brethren, We are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery. Uh, Leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption, as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if by children heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption, into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees?
1: I was um, waiting for verse 25, Brendan. But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Um. Thanks, Greg, for coming up. Um, Reliance and Katie. Thanks, Katie, for letting me uh, borrow your husband uh, every Thursday night for several hours as you uh, kept the children faithfully well. Um, I don't know how you did it, quiet in the house, and so that we could talk about what worship is and if this would be a good fit. Thank you um, for making that time, um, and uh, thanks for being willing to come up and get to know us, Reliance, they came up to meet you, and so I know that not all of us can meet them, um, and to get to know them, and so, uh, but I would, get a handshake in there, um, think, tell them uh, how wonderful Reliance is, and, uh, and all of that, um, but thank you for, for taking time and coming up here, and we are prayful for you guys as you will, you're praying for us as a church, and so. Yeah, we have a, an important passage before us. Um, I pray that you would pray with me and that uh, God would open our minds and hearts to understand it and to delight in it. pray with me. Lord, I know that the present time has many troubles. And indeed, in fact, Christ, your son, said this. In the last days there'd be wars and rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes. Lawlessness would increase. The heart of men would grow cold. And Lord, we recognize that uh, even in all the prosperity that our country enjoys, we are far from you. And Lord, we pray that uh, as Christians who are of another kingdom, who hope for another kingdom, Christ's kingdom, give us wisdom as we walk in these days. Lord, you have called us to be a light to the world, edify one another in Christ. And so there is a perception that we ought to have when it comes to the troubles around us. And so often we left these things unaddressed, so often we have left these um, uninformed by your word in scripture to teach us how to endure suffering in our present time. And so, Lord, as Paul labors on to bring these words to us, to encourage us, to remind us of how you you suffering in the midst of this season, Lord, I pray that through your word, by your spirit, we would delight in these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, it was just a, a couple weeks ago. Man, I really enjoyed celebrating, especially after last year, not being able to enjoy celebrating Resurrection Sunday with you, I would say as the day was concluding, I mean, after the service, worshiping with you was such a delight. Afterwards, Adam and Kim invited us over to their house, and we had dinner with the Buells as well. And as I went home that evening, it was just sweet. And it, was the, it was just wonderful. As I was Going into the house, I told Beth, hey, I'm going to call my mom and dad and wish them happy resurrection day. So I got on the phone and kids went off to do their evening chores and uh, all of a sudden about 10 minutes into my conversation with my parents, I heard this cry from the other side of the house, which if you live in a house full of eight children, cries are normal. And as I heard one of the children crying, I found myself thinking to myself, well, Beth will take care of it, and uh, this is just part of our life. And so I continued with my parents' conversation and, and talking to them about Easter. Eventually, however, Miley comes across the house, and she says, Dad, it's an emergency. Mom needs you. I said, Love you, Mom and Dad. We'll talk to you soon. Only to come into the other side of the house and see that one of our children, Kawan, on the floor crying, and she had been sweeping, in the bench... Our dining bench had fallen over, hit her toe, and smashed it pretty darn good. And so as we looked at it, we had to reach out the most gifted, most professional nurse in the Tri-Cities to help us to make a decision on what we needed to do. And so we called Kim. Kim, can you look at this? Give us your wisdom. And through FaceTime, she was able to stitch it back. No, she... <laughs> it's amazing technology. She recommended that we go in to urgent care. Uh, and uh, apparently, Easter evening, Sunday night, urgent care doesn't want to see you. Um, and so we're making our way from urgent care to urgent care. And we eventually, are, we're going to have to go to the emergency room. And I can hear Kawan on the back, in the background. And she's talking to herself, and she's terrified about stitches. Any child would, any adult would, right? And I can hear her say some things. Today was such a great day. Why did it have to end so horribly? And uh, eventually at one point she asked a question that the philosophers have asked. You yourself have asked it. God is good. If God is all-powerful. Dad, why didn't he stop the bench? I don't know about you. It's not just the child who asks this question. You've asked it. You'll ask it. Some of you, your life has started... Not sweet like our Resurrection Sunday, but it started bitter. In fact, the trust that a child should have with a parent had been incredibly violated in the very beginnings of your life, that life didn't really get going. And as a result of that, you have asked the question, God, if you are all-sovereign, all-powerful, why did you allow my life to be filled with so much bitterness? Many of you have enjoyed the, the opportunity to be raised up in Christian families. Yet you would acknowledge that life was sweet, but now as you've grown to adulthood, it's become bitter. For some of you, the sweetness of life is now behind you in its history as you recognize that the days ahead are hard. It's not just children that ask this question, isn't it? I ask it. You ask It's a week, this week, it was 10 years ago. That 20,000 people were perished as a result of a tsunami hitting the Japan border's coastline. It's not just the child that asks it. It's not just the adult that asks it. It's the nations ask it. It's not just a bench. It could be a tidal wave. God is sovereign. If he's good, why doesn't he stop it? My question to you, as Paul is addressing this, is often when it comes to the topic of suffering, we become careless and we come up with a response like, we just have to trust in God when it comes to suffering. The question I have for you is is that if that was the truth, and the scriptures did say, when it comes to suffering, just trust in God, would that be enough? But the scriptures and God being gracious has given us indeed more than just Trust in God. There has been a failure, however, for often to interact with that conversation through Scripture and to realize that when it comes to the challenges in front of us, the troubles in this world, we have an understanding of what God can accomplish through it. And often we have, in our journey with Christ, become unaware of why suffering exists and God Purposes for it. Paul in 2 Corinthians 1 8 says this For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively, beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Paul, Peter, James, they all recognize that this is a big question that all of us come to ask. And what I find so, what I'm so grateful about within the scripture is that phrase, we don't want you to be unaware. Christians do not have to be unaware when it comes to suffering. So as we approach this text, I want to at least put some boundaries around it. When it comes to the topic of suffering, dad, why does God let the bench fall on my toe or a tsunami hit the coastlands of Japan? Christians are not left, well, we just need to trust in God. But we do need to recognize that God accomplishes something through it. And the perspective that Christian have Christians have when it comes to suffering is going to be so unsatisfying to the world around us. Paul's answer about suffering is for the Christian. And it makes sense in the Christian mind. And I hope that you come to appreciate it. And so with that said, I want to put boundaries in this context. I'm, if you would think that I'm going to try to accomplish a theology of suffering today, that's, I'm going to leave you unsatisfied. Really, we're only going to study a part of it. And I want to stay within the boundaries of which Paul is, is illustrating these things to us in this text. As I walk through this conversation, I want to keep it in Paul's Paul's context. But I do want to say, as a father, as a mother, as a husband, as a spouse, as a co-worker, that you and I would be all equipped to answer that question. But it's not just the child, it's not just the parent, it's not the employer, the nations ask this question. And Christians should be of one voice to be able to respond to this, and that we recognize this first reality. We live in the present time. And in the present time, point one, we have to wait for the hope set before us. Last week, I spent time trying to go through, I went through a significant portion of time as Paul labors on to, just to show us that salvation is not merely being saved from the wrath of God. While that is true, he goes on to labor that in that moment when we become well, saved in Christ, God has, by His grace, empowered us where the Spirit of God dwells within us and allows us to transform the way that we live our lives, to be live lives that are holy, righteous, and good before Him. And in this text, He is not done in, in that regard, but He goes on to say, you are sons of God with an inheritance. And last week I tried, I spent a major portion of my time showing you through, through the Scriptures that God has promised us something, I argued that as we understand the, the inheritance, often that idea of inheritance has not properly been defined, so we don't understand what has been promised to us. Now, I'm not going to go back through all of those promises that I read last week, but I think I can catch us up again by just reading three of them. What's promised for you? Micah 1, or 4, 1 through 4. And it will come about in the last days. That the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established on the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob. There's this promise revealed within the Old Testament for those who are sons of God, that God himself will dwell on earth and the people will be able to go and approach him. As we read last week, the nations will rest on His shoulders. His authority will teach us how to live in righteous ways. Let me continue. That He might teach us about His ways and that we may walk in His path. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And He will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations. And as a result of His righteous hand, They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation. And never again, never again will they train for war. And each of them will sit under the vine and under the fig tree with no one to make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. When Paul says, you're sons of God and you have an inheritance he lifts this idea of there is a promise for you. There is a kingdom in which there will be a king when he reigns. Peace will be every corner within the street corners and within every coastland. You will find the authority of God there. There will be no need for weapon. Not only that, will there be peace with all the nations for sons of God who have inheritance. We read Isaiah eleven six through 8. This is a this is one of my favorite. It makes my mind boggle, in which he promises to those who are sons of God: the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. Could you imagine a child leading a lion? Also the cow and the bear will graze. Their, will, their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. And the nursing child will lay by the hole of the cobra. And the weaning child will put his hand on the viper's den. Not only will you have peace among the nations. Not, will, not only will Christ's authority and righteousness and law be known throughout all the world. But there is a promise for those who are sons of God. The inheritance which is given to us of peace with creation itself. And in that one last promise, and I said three, and I'll keep it to three. I gave you like 20 last week. Isaiah 25, 8 through 9. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe away tears away from all faces. And He will remove the reproach of His people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And this is what Paul has has drawn our attention to to realize and appreciate if children, heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, you have an inheritance. You can hope for a kingdom where there is true justice, true peace, and upon every nation on every border you'll find a submission to that king. And in that reality, there will be peace with creation. And yes, death will have lost its sting. And he puts before this as sons and children of God, you hope for those realities. But Paul has to clarify with that mindset in play. Romans 8, 18. And so, well, let me start at verse 17. If this is promise, if children, heirs and also heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, he says... If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Verse 18. This is where our first point is trying to draw. For I consider the sufferings of this present time. Christians are realistic. We recognize what's promised for us and what's to come. But we're realistic in the sense that there is a present season that exists. And in the present season, you won't find justice on every corner. You will not find peace within every alley. You will not find the the submission of creation to humanity in which children can play with vipers and rattlesnakes. You won't find it because the present reality has not been that promised to us. Those promises are yet ahead of us. And so Christians are realistic in that we can be ambitious. But the reality is, until the Son of Man returns, these things will not be accomplished fully. And so he says, in the present time, this is... As I think about the promises for those who are the sons of God, it is so helpful for me to discern the times and the seasons that we live today. It's so helpful for us to consider what Scripture might teach us on how to relate to the world in front of us. Because does it not true, is it not true, that our world desires justice, freedom from pain and suffering. Not, that is a desire for someone to satisfy all the conflict between one another. And yet the world and its billions of people is unable to provide one person to do such a thing. And yet as Christians, we know that will not be accomplished until Christ returns. And so Paul, not just with Paul, but Jesus Christ himself and Jude reminds us of what we will experience in these days. Let me just remind you. Second Timothy 3. One through five. What can you expect in the present time? But realize this. That in the last days, difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self. And when he says men, if you have an ESV, it's people, right? It's mankind. For men will be lovers of self. Lovers of money. Boastful. Arrogant. Revilers. Disobedient to children or parents. Ungrateful. Unholy. Unholy unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossip, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure. Man, isn't that not just what you see today? Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness. So they'll, they'll hold it and in their, in their position of sin, use uh, the godliness of God sinfully, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoids, avoid such men, such people as these. In the last days, in these days, the promise that we have as children of God, heirs, is not now. Jude 17-19. through 19. I'll just pick three. But you, beloved ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles, our Lord Jesus Christ. That they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers, followers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause division, worldly-minded and devoid of the Spirit. When Paul says, for I consider the, the suffering, sufferings at this present time, Christians have a realistic perspective for the world in which is in front of us. They may desire the godliness justice that they know to be evident within them because God has made it evident within them, but they will not be able to accomplish it. Rather, at times, I find myself living in a society where Christians, Christians who read their Bibles actually believe that the lawless are capable of becoming less lawless. No, the heart of the unredeemed, hear me, The heart of the unredeemed is bent towards lawlessness and pursues lawlessness. And only by the grace of God could God save such a heart as you who once went that direction. And as a result of this, the world moves towards lawlessness and thinks it's a good thing. And we know the power of sin is death, not life. As a result of this, everyone, even sons of God, where you have sin increased, so do you have what? Suffering. And trouble. We haven't asked the question, though. Why does, answer the question, why does God let it happen? Merely, we would come to understand this theological reality. It exists, and it's not the freedom that we hope and desire is not yet. For I consider what Paul says, that the sufferings of this present time, and notice what he does here, are not worthy to be compared, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I had no idea. How do you compare, Paul's going to say, the inheritance that's promised to you, how do you compare it with your present situation? Paul is so hopeful for what is to come. He says, this present season, don't even put it in the category of comparison. Like, you know I grew up, in the Michael Jordan era. And when Kobe Bryant came up, that was the conversation. Can you compare him with Michael Jordan? Now it's LeBron. Can you compare him with Michael Jordan? Now that's sports. But when it comes to the two worlds, the present world and the world to come, Paul says, this is not even in the same ballpark. It's not even in the same category. And he says, I can't even put it in the position so that you can compare it because this is so wonderful to hope in what is to come. But the present reality is this. It suffers. And not only this, Paul says, but creation itself. And by the means of the illustration of creation, he helps the Christian realize how we ought to relate to suffering and light to what to come. In which he writes, point two, in the present time, not only do we wait eagerly, creation itself has to wait. Look what he says in verse 19 and 20. For the anxious longing of creation, it waits eagerly, just like those who are sons of God. For the revealing of the sons of God, something has happened. When when the unredeemed, those who were sin-dwelled once, become saved, and they have been revealed, or those who have become sons of God, the creation itself anticipates what is to come. Look at verse 14. For the creation was subjected to fertility. Another way you could say this is, worthlessness not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope now what's going on here and we have to go all the way back to genesis chapter three one through three and that when god created the heaven or heavens and the earth who did god put in charge who did he give authority over the earth do you remember man but yet what happened in genesis chapter three what did the man do we recognize that creation itself was to submit to the authority of man. But in Adam and Eve, the serpent deceived them. And in that event, creation was not submitting to man, but man himself submitted to creation. And in that, minute, in that moment, creation lost the ability to do that which it was created to do. Creation itself Loved and it was designed to submit to the authority of man. Yet when Adam and Eve sinned, they exchanged the truths of God for a lie and submitted to creation. And as a result of this one act, Adam, sin entered the world and through sin, death. And that all creation now groans because it is unable to accomplish what it was designed to do. Remind you of Genesis 1, 27 through 30. God created man in his own image. The image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Rule. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth. And every tree which has has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. To every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth which has life. I have given every green plant for food and it was so. And mankind had the privilege to rule the earth. But something happened. Because of the sin of Adam, creation lost the ability to do that which it was designed to do. So that, look at verse 20 again with me in Romans 8.20. For creation as a result of this was subjected to worthlessness or futility, not willingly, but because of him. Who's the him? Do you remember as Adam and Eve went off to hide and God comes to the garden and they're hiding to themselves? what he said to them as a result of the consequence of their sin. He said to Adam, the ground is cursed because of you. And the earth itself literally was held captive because of the subjection that God put it under that man was unable now no longer to rule over creation. And creation wants to get back to what it was. Look at this. For anxious longings of creation wait eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Verse 21. That the creation itself will be set free from its slavery. So the earth right now is not free. It's enslaved to corruption and to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers and the pains of childbirth together until now. Up till Christ. Creation was, was left in its bondage and as we watch the ministry of Christ we almost see creation be set free. When at, when when God incarnated Himself in Christ among humanity, you do you remember the amazing moments in Christ's life when He went out among creation? Remember when they were on the boat, the waves were going back and forth, and the disciples recognizing the groaning within the world or within the sea, and they say, "Teacher, get up, or we're going to die." And Jesus gets up, not afraid, and he looks at the waves and he says, what? Peace, be still. And creation submitted instantly to his authority. Delighting purposely and fulfilling its design. Remember the winds, he would call them peace, be still, and they would stop. Even food itself, he could multiply and there was a unity that we see in Christ of what it, was supposed to go, what it was supposed to be and what it will be like in the kingdom. And the disciples marveled at that. But Paul has to remind us that is not the present time. But in fact, creation itself rebels every day in this slavery, which then means that Christians are realistic. Why does a bee sting you? That on Adam's porch the other night. Why does a mosquito bite you? Why does a a dog nip at a child? It's Not because there's peace on earth with creation. Remember being a child, we would log at a farmhouse and I was out playing in the woods and there was a hole in a trunk. I put my finger in it. Hundreds of wasps came pouring out. And they let me know. And I could feel, not peace, but the power of brokenness. Creation is not free. It stands in hostility with the one that has not allowed it to be that which it's supposed to be. And so it could be a wave that crashes upon a city reminds us regularly in this season of life we live, there is no peace. There is no utopia within this world. And the Christians have a realistic perspective of this reality. In this present time, we suffer. And what do we do then as a result of this? We, we are eagerly waiting for the promises yet to come. Christians know why famines plague this planet. Or COVID even comes into being. Do you know why mountains erupt? 1980, Mount St. Helens. Do you know why the summers are hot and the winters are super cold? I remember, we call it morning glory. I don't know if you're familiar with morning glory. Two acres, 20,000 plants of strawberries. My dad would say... Two hours of weeding a day. And we couldn't keep up with the morning glory. And there was this new thing, I think a type of spray that could kill morning glory. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and the catch was, it would spray, and you'd have to spray it when it rained, and it would fall on the leaves in the morning glory. And he killed just the morning glory. Ah, gift of God. And... Dad saw that cloud. He saw it, and it was heavy. You could, we lived up on a hill, and you could see it. The rains come in. And so I remember seeing the heavy cloud. He filled up the sprayer, put the chemical in, and he starts driving that tractor up. And that cloud, it came. And as he spraying, it's perfect combination, right? And that cloud went well, whoop. Christians in those moments recognize what's going on this is not peace on earth there is no place in which you're going to find on this world a, a refuge from the suffering that this world endures every child asks it every parent every employer every nation asks and the reality is is that Christians recognize why there's not justice in the world while the world itself stands in hostility towards humanity and my concern is is that, are we equipped to say, as I was a coworker working with a man, Jacob, my cousin went swimming, she's 16. There was a weird bacteria in the, in the lake. Nobody else got sick. She got sick, and she died. Why? Christians know the answer. The present time that we live is trouble. And some of us have sweet lives, just like resurrection morning, and it can come so quickly and bitterness sweep over your household. What will you say? Christians have a response to the world in front of them. And we can go out into the world and we can say, we know! Verse 22 We know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pain of childbirth together until now. Verse 23, and this is point three. We know we are eagerly waiting. And not only this, but also we ourselves, we have tasted what is to come in the spirit within us. And having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we also groan, we groan in ourselves. We are waiting eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our body. And for in hope, look at how many times he layers this. In hope we have been saved. This is true, but in hope that is seen is not hope. We don't see it yet. The place that we can see it is in the scriptures. What I find is so helpful for the Christian who endures suffering. Many of you know Gary. I hope this is fine. Gary and Norma. I sit down with a 90-year-old man who suffers. The world who has no Christ at 90 years old, the world has said, you're done. Nothing can be accomplished for you good. Even provided ways of escape Yet in Christ, 90 year old men can say, in the present time, in my suffering, I hope for what's to come. And he encourages me as I sat with him on last Thursday, and he asks me to remind you of these things. You're 30, you suffer indeed. The present time is filled with it. But don't think that at 90 it just escapes, it actually gets harder. So what will gird your mind and heart? For in hope, so what's the hope? That the present time is not the end. For in hope you have been promised as sons of God, children of God, of a kingdom where there is no sickness, there is no disease, there is peace on every corner, there is no ocean wave that will come upon the coastal lands and wipe your children from it. There's a kingdom to come in which you can hope that the, the bumblebee can land on your finger and not sting you. You can put your finger in the hornet's nest and it will be gracious to you. There's a kingdom to come in which children will lead lions. So, in hope with that reality, what do we have to offer the world? Not this kingdom. No way. As Christians, we say, you want justice in the next one. You want hope? It's in the next one. Now, please don't take my words to say that we don't have the pursuit of justice now. No, that's not what I'm saying. I am saying that justice will not ever be satisfying to you in this one. It's the next one. And if you want to find justice in any land across this nation, it should be in the church who knows of this justice to come and hope. There's reality. So in your suffering, how does a Christian hope? He feels his understanding of what has been promised to him. That in the moment when he suffers, cancer pops up, a beast stings him, a dog nips at him, that the promises of what to come deepen, deepen the reality of what's ahead for them. What does suffering do for the Christian? It makes you long for the hope to come and not Hope in the present. Now, that answer, of Paul, is so unsatisfying for the world around us. Because the world around us would say there's nothing that can be accomplished through suffering, and we have to eliminate it. But for the Christian, we say, what does suffering do? Well, it only deepens our hope for the future ahead of us in Christ, in which in that kingdom, no death peace on every corner, every stream. Justice. Imagine a society where you don't even have to tell somebody about the law of Christ. They just know it. Imagine going down Van Giesen, no speed limit line, line, speed limit sign. Maybe no lines on the road. Everybody's just going to know what they're supposed to do. There's no law necessary because everybody knows it. The kingdom of God that we hope for is not now, but next. And so verse 24, in hope. If you suffer, and if you're not suffering, you increase what's in promise to you. Read your inheritance. Read the Old Testament what the prophets have promised. Read the book of Revelations. Just read chapters 20, 21, and you'll see what is set ahead for you. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for it's not now. For who hopes for what is already, he already sees? Verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly. At the last minute of time that I have, I want you to see what Scripture has done this. This is not just a New Testament truth. So I'll just present three. We eagerly wait. Psalms 37, 7 through 11. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. The world will look like they prospered, right? Don't fret about it because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger, forsake wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil doing. For evildoers will cut off, be cut off. There's not going to be any of those in the kingdom of come. But those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Your promise, our promise as children of God is the earth. Yet, a little while, and the wicked man will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place. And he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land. And he will delight himself in the abundant prosperity. Paul is pulling the rea- this reality, the kingdom to come, we wait for. We t- tasted it. We have seen it in Christ. We can, in- we can see it within ourselves where the Spirit testifies that these things to be true. And with that reality, we wait for it. Isaiah 25, 9. I love this one. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God for whom we have waited that he might... Save us. Could you imagine? To the world. This is what we had said. We promised. We have received promise from this one. Behold, there he is. This is the Lord whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. The present groanings, the sufferings which we endure, are not even going to be compared to what is to come. But we know that God uses the present suffering to increase our desire and delight for yet what is ahead of us. So Paul, writing to the church of Rome, and even in Corinth, he says the same things. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 10. We do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which he came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we desired even, that we were despaired even of life. Look at what happens in verse 9. Indeed, we have have the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. What does Paul say suffering does? I don't trust in myself. This present season can't satisfy everything that I desire. That it forces me to trust in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from a great peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope. God has not promised you through the gospel an escape from suffering. In fact, if we know who Christ is, he uses the present time in this season to accomplish much through suffering. And the cross becomes a reminder of this reality that when we suffer, when life goes from sweet to bitter, the saints declare with praise with their lips God is good. And he has promised me a kingdom in the future where this will not take place and is not even compared to the sufferings that I experience now. And so, as a pastor who understands that many even in this room suffer with the present days, God will satisfy your deepest desires in the kingdom to come. Let him. It's easy for me to say it Now. Enrich your minds in the promises that have been given to you. That in the hour of tribulation, whether it be a beasting, sickness, opposition from the world, that your hope is not in the present, but in the future. For that is the only thing that will keep you singing through sweet and bitterness. I conclude my time with this. Grandpa Morris, he died early. I've talked to you about Grandpa Martin. I've had great men in my life. Grandpa Morris died early. Spoke about him with my dad a little bit yesterday. But as he body was dying, and as he realized that death was just dear ahead of him, his grandchildren, we didn't realize that when he was younger, he got a tattoo while I was in the Army, or not Army, but Coastal Guard, and in hepatitis, in the needles. Took his life prematurely. But as he recognized that his life was coming to close, do you know what he wanted to talk about? Kingdom ahead. The world around us would say, I'm so angry at God, shake their fists at him. And yet for the Christian, in the midst of suffering, the world watches a whole new different type of people say, this world has so much to lose, and that's why I'm baking on the next And I pray that whatever suffering you have, you have such a view of the promises set ahead of you that the present sufferings are not even compared to the glories that will come. That you can sing before a world that is trying to figure out what is the purpose of suffering. And As a father, as a mother, as a parent, as a co-worker, whatever resource or influence that you have, the redemption of the gospel, the power of the gospel is this. The kingdom that we desire is next. And so I pray that we wait eagerly for it and delight in the present season, knowing this is not all that there is. Would you pray with? Me?